Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Becky Vivi, and this is Reset. The worldview of a Nazi skinhead at that time in the 80s and 90s was that we were vanguard warriors fighting on the front lines of a very fierce battle over the safety of the white race. That's Christian Picciolini, a former neo-Nazi leader who now works to educate and de-radicalize youth from white supremacy. He's one of the key voices in the new season of WBEZ's podcast, Motive. In this new season, WBEZ unpacks the roots of the modern white supremacist movement here in America. And as it turns out, one of the first true neo-Nazi skinhead gangs in the U.S. started right here in Chicago back in the 80s, and it targeted youth. Here to talk about the podcast is the host of Motive Season 3, Odette Youssef. She's also a race, class, and communities reporter for WBEZ. Hi, Odette. Hey, Becky. Also with us, the voice you heard earlier, Christian Picciolini. Hi, Christian. Hi, thanks for having me, Becky. I want to give a little warning. This is going to be a really interesting discussion, but we're talking about white supremacy and its ideology. That includes offensive ideas and hate speech. So if you have kids around, you may want to listen later. Now, Odette, I tried to sum up what this season of Motive is all about, but give us a sense of what you see as the key themes. The big story that we're really trying to tell is about how bad ideas don't seem to die in America. You know, how the white supremacist movement recruits young people, how it finds new energy, how it finds new blood. We're going to really look at how they target youth, which youth it targets, um, how it packages and repackages and repackages again the message Mm -hmm. and adapts to sort of find sort of an ever larger and more mainstream group of believers. And why tell this story? Frankly, you know, in my view, the story of the neo-Nazi skinheads emerging in Chicago isn't a story that's been widely told. And I think that there's a relevance in that story to what we've been seeing more recently in the U.S. Christian, we heard your voice at the top of this segment. You were a neo-Nazi skinhead for eight years, but are not any longer. You now spend a lot of your time educating youth about the dangers of this movement. Tell us about why you agreed to talk with Odette and take part in this podcast. Yeah, you know, I think in in the 80s, in the mid-80s, there started to become uh, a resurgence of a a movement within the white supremacist movement that targeted young people. Uh, And there were a lot of folks at the time, uh, people who were tracking hate groups, who really called it out uh, and said that this was the start of something that people should pay attention to, that we should be concerned about. Decades went by, uh, and it turned out that the roots of what had been planted in the 80s and, and early 90s and, and the American neo-Nazi skinhead movement essentially morphed into what we saw marching on the streets of Charlottesville and essentially and eventually killing somebody. You know, we still, I think, in this day and age are failing to address the problem that this is a, a widespread uh, targeted recruitment of young people, uh, and we're seeing more of that happen today. You know, I was involved from the time I was 14 years old in 1987, very early on uh, at the beginning of this American skinhead movement. And I stayed involved until I was roughly 23. It took me a couple of years before I I really kind of addressed my past. I tried to run from it uh, for a few years until I met a man who uh, I had hurt in my past. And it was kind of my reconciliation with him. who He was a black man and a security guard at my old high school. 
he confronted me and he said, you have to address this. You have to talk about your past. And in fact, that's what I've been doing for, for 20 years now, uh, you know, not just warning people about the problems that we're seeing happening now with increasing volume uh, and increasing deadliness, but uh, also helping people disengage from that same movement that I was a part of, knowing that people are finding their way into that movement, not necessarily because of ideology, but because they're searching for a sense of identity, community, and purpose. And there's a real, uh, you know, heaviness of uncertainty in the air now where people are finding that in these toxic movements. The first episode of this season is titled The Hate Crate. It's a reference to a box full of stuff you kept from that time in your life. And I'm wondering, when you left the movement and, and you've been spending all this time trying to work against it, why keep any of it? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I actually didn't even know I had it for many years until you know my mom dredged it out of the basement um, after uh, it started to flood. Uh, and I kind of hung on to that box for several years, and I didn't really open it until I started to write my memoir. Uh, and because I wanted to be very accurate and because I wanted to you know, really remind myself of, of some of the things that I was talking about, I opened it back up, and I found this whole world uh, of newsletters and magazines and music and recordings and videos and even artifacts of clothing uh, that I had collected over those eight years that really you know, identified me uh, to who I was during that point in my life. And, you know, it's, it serves now, I think, as a reminder uh, that the problem still hasn't gone away uh, and that this is something that, you know, I've put all my energy into combating for the last 20 years. It's certainly something that I've been advocating to to really bring uh, more of a spotlight to today. Odette, Christian mentioned that the recruitment of young people is often people who are looking for a place, a sense of community. Why was Chicago a place where a group of where young people in the 80s could be sympathetic to white supremacy? You know, if you listen to the podcast, episode three comes out tomorrow and it will get into that very question. And that's the question, you know, that's probably the first question that really intrigued me about this project was trying to understand, you know, why was Chicago the place where neo an organized neo-Nazi skinhead crew emerged um, so early on? It's probably going to come as absolutely no surprise to you, Becky, but like it is tied to the city's segregation. It's tied to the very complicated and ugly and painful history that some neighborhoods have had with demographic changes. The youth that were um, pulled into this movement, you know, there were comfortable places for <laughs> for people who were um, overtly racist. We know about Marquette Park, for example, on the southwest side. There were places where you could comfortably be just a racist. And so for the young generation, of people who were being sort of introduced to elements of the white supremacist ideology, like it's not like there wasn't like an existing stream of thought at the time in Chicago over that. And it comes out of the the city's very difficult history with segregation. Segregation and race, of course. And I was struck in the second episode to learn, I had not known this, but that early on the skinhead community had some diversity, that there were actually black skinheads and a faction of anti-racists in that scene. Could you talk a little bit about that? Early on, in the various earliest stages of, of skinhead subculture, uh, even back in the UK, was always influenced by black Jamaican rude boy culture. It was always very diverse, and it wasn't politicized. Uh, and then, you know, just to kind of take a tail end on, on 
how Odette answered that question too. Chicago was a you know a working class city uh, that had roots. Uh, you know, American Nazi Party had roots here. There were you know rallies in Market Park and certainly rallies in Skokie that that has hit the Supreme Court. So, you know, being this working class community that was, quote unquote, the second city to places like Los Angeles or New York that had these thriving punk rock subcultures, Chicago had to distinguish itself from those subcultures. And, they, and the way they did that was to kind of do it the Chicago way, was to politicize it. So at that time, the, the overwhelming skinhead faction was very diverse and it wasn't politicized until this group called the Chicago area skinheads and a man named Clark Martell, who you can hear about in the first and second episode and we'll hear more about, uh, started to pull from that skinhead uh, group and start to really politicize it and make them racist. So it, it separated. What we see today in the streets with Antifa and some of the groups that are you know, very anti-fascist, anti-racist, the opposite of the racist politicization was the anti-racist politicization of it. So you saw a group of black and Latino and, and white skinheads who were very anti-racist. Odette, you talk with Christian a little bit about the white power bands that um, came out of this movement, and many of them were based in the U.K. Why was this music culture part of, of the recruitment tool? So that was kind of the innovation in the movement at the time. The thing that's sort of interesting about looking at this particular period of time, like going back to the early 80s, is that the organized white supremacist movement was dying. If you look at the number of uh, members of the KKK, for example, they were declining in the early 80s. And then suddenly there were a few bands, most notably a band named Screwdriver from the UK, that sort of took music that was popular at the time, oi music is what it was called, and started infusing it with explicitly racist lyrics. And that became very popular just because of the music. And it sort of spread and indoctrinated um, young people. And so initially we found that like, um, you know, this this fellow that, that Christian mentioned, Clark Martell, who sort of started the first um, skinhead crew here in Chicago, like he was selling like bootleg copies of Screwdriver um, here in, in the Chicago area. Um, and so the music was significant because um, it found a way to sort of repackage the message um, in a way that was appealing to young people. There are some people who might have concerns that even telling this history could contribute or romanticize the movement. Christian, I'm curious for your take on that. Um, do you have a concern about what people might take away from this reporting? No, I mean, I think, you know, Odette has done an amazing job of keeping it very journalistic and interviewing uh, people from that era who really help explain that what we saw in the 80s and 90s is very relevant to what we're seeing today. And to understand what happened then is, is very important to understanding what's happening today today in the way that young people are being recruited into this movement. It may not be through music. It may not be you know somebody standing in an alley and being recruited by a skinhead like I was. But the internet it really is that alleyway, that digital alley of today, and young people are being recruited um, through things like music, through things like memes, uh, in communities that are online, through social media, in the same ways that music brought people together in those days. If you could go back and talk to yourself at 14, what would you say to him? Oh, <laughs> I've thought about a million things I'd say to myself if I was 14. And one thing I would say is, uh, you're better than that. 
uh, and uh, don't place your identity and your faith and community and purpose into uh, an idea that demonizes anybody else. Odette, let's give you the last word here. A new episode is coming out tomorrow. Tell people uh, what they can expect from this series uh, going forward. And if you haven't listened, go back and listen to the first two, of course. Yeah. Um, so tomorrow's episode is about Clark Martell and the crew that he built in the early 80s, you know, sort of a few years before Christian kind of took the helm of that crew. It's an important episode because we hear from people who were recruited by him. Um, it talks about their reasons they were drawn in, the type of people who were targeted. And also, um, like I mentioned earlier, tomorrow's episode is finally going to like answer that question that I had at the outset, which is, why Chicago? Why was Chicago such fertile ground for the emergence of this youth hate movement? And where should people look for for the podcast and obviously where they get their podcasts? Is it also obviously there's reporting on WBEZ? Just go to um, WBEZ.org slash motive or slash motive podcast um, and you should find all the episodes there. That's Odette Youssef, host of WBEZ's newest season of Motive and a WBEZ race class and communities reporter. Also, Christian Picciolini, one of the subjects of this podcast. He's the author of the book Breaking Hate, Confronting the New Culture of Extremism. The first three episodes of Motive are out. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Odette, Christian, congratulations on making this happen. And thanks for joining us today to talk about it. Thanks, Becky. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. To hear a great new conversation each day, Monday through Friday, make sure you're subscribed or tell your smart speaker to play WBEZ's Reset. I'm Becky Vivi. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.